Hi, good morning. Welcome everybody here at our main campus. Welcome to you guys that are joining us online. Two quick announcements before we get started. One, Baptism Sunday is coming up, so we're all excited about that, September the 18th. Um, so two things to think about. If you want to be baptized, we'd love for you to sign up. So you can sign up in two ways. One is to go on the app. The other one is to go online on our website. You can sign up that way. If either one of those things don't make sense to you, you can still fill out a connecting card. If you fill out a connecting card, a staff member will get with you. The other thing that goes with baptism, it might not be like, hey, I'm ready, but I'm interested and I want to ask some questions or talk through some things. That's the other thing you could do, sign up, say, you know what, I have questions, I wanna talk to somebody that can help me work through the whole baptism thing. So if you wanna do that, go ahead and sign up. Um, But again, we'd love for you to be a part of that. Now, here's the other part about Baptism Sunday. So if you've never been here for a Baptism Sunday, and I think people could say that for different reasons. One, you just haven't been here, right? Like it's, we haven't done one since then, so you haven't really been here. Others would say, oh, it's Baptism Sunday. I'm not having anybody baptized. I'm not coming. That's a terrible idea, right? So here's what I want to tell you, right? The reason that we do church is to celebrate life change. So it's weird to think that we'd come and gather together and learn together and do things together, but not celebrate together with the angels when somebody comes to know Jesus Christ and celebrating their story. So I would tell you, don't miss Baptism Sunday. In fact, if you want to bring somebody to church for the first time, bring them to Baptism Sunday. I'm just telling you, the stories, the things that happen, the way the Spirit moves, it's a great opportunity to do that. So September the 18th, Baptism Sunday. The other thing is the summer concert series. So if you didn't know, uh, we're going around doing uh, these concerts at different places around the community. So the next one is going to be on July the 9th at Markle Park. Um, so we'd love for you guys to come and be a part of that for a couple different reasons. If you want to worship some more, it's a great opportunity to worship, right? So it's a great opportunity to get together and worship. The other thing is, if you've been coming to the church for a while and you're like, I don't really know very many people or I it's hard to get to know people. I'm like, I know, that's, that's the way that it works. It's really hard on a Sunday morning to get to know anybody, but these summer concert series are an opportunity for you to get in a smaller group, fellowship with different people from the church, and get to know different people from Life Church. We'd love you to be a part of that. That's on uh, July the 9th. All right, Revelation series. Let me get you caught up. So in the Revelation series, if you're new, let me tell you what's going on. Um, In this Revelation series, we did it with this idea. The Revelation series was to get you to think about this idea that there could be an end. And then the idea is to say, we know that there's going to be an end. So now that we know that there's going to be an end, the question we would ask you from the beginning, this is week 18, 19, I can't even remember. This is what we're telling you to ask yourself. Are you ready? Right, like that was the big question throughout all of Revelation. Like we want you to walk away with this question being answered, right? And, and I'm hoping, this is what I'm hoping for. I'm hoping that you're not sitting in the book of Revelation series with the question of, I don't know, right? I would rather you say, nope or yes, right? If you don't know, then I would seek out somebody that can help you know right, that we wouldn't live in this sense of uncertainty because the book of Revelation and the series that we're doing is to say, you know what, your time's short and you probably should figure out, you know, what's going on because we as a church understand this, we're living in the last days, right? Now, here's what we're going to do today. So we're going to take a short break from going, you know, uh, chapter by chapter in Revelations to answer a question that Multiple people have asked me from the beginning of doing the Revelation series. So, are we in the last days? So, are we in them? Like, are we at a place where it's coming to an end? And how close is it? And what do you think based upon the signs that you see? Is it, you know, is it closer than it was before? Well, obviously, it's closer than it was before, (laughs) right? But what they really want to do is they want to know, well, is it really close, because if it's really close, then I need to do something about it, right? You know how people work, right? If I could just put it off and put it off and put it off and it might be down the road, natural tendency for people is to say, well, I can kind of wait, you know, what's happening. So what we're going to do is answer the question today 
Are we in our last days? And if we are, what should our response be? So that's what we're going to be talking about. If we are, what should our response be and how do we get prepared? Now, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about my own story, right? So my own story, I want you to see this whole idea of how the way that I think changed the way that I had actions in my life. So when I was a kid, and I don't know if any of you guys else were like this, my mom used to come up and say prayers with me before I went to bed. And she taught me a prayer that we recited every single night. Here's the prayer that I was taught when I was a kid. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Now, when you're a kid, that's a little freaky, right? Like the whole idea of, because it did, it brought this whole idea as a young child. It's like, could I die in my sleep? You know, could, could something happen like, that the end is near, you know what I mean? So it made you think through this whole idea that your life could end, right? And what you're praying for is that at the end of your life that the response is or the thing that happens is is that God takes you because that's the good thing, right? Now, prayed that. So whether it was weird or not weird, here's what it did do. It invoked this idea that when I went to bed every night that I needed to remember that every day was a gift because I might not get tomorrow. Right? So whether I agreed with the prayer or didn't agree with the prayer, was freaked out by the prayer or not freaked out by the prayer, that's the idea is, is that I had to think through that process you know, at the end. Now, obviously, if you knew my life, which not very many people in here do, but if you were from Adams County, you would know. After a while, I really didn't think about the end and all I thought about was myself. Right? And I really didn't think about like my days were going to be over. I'm just thinking about what could I do next, right? And those what could I do next didn't necessarily ever be, Jesus was never in the picture and I thought I was invincible. Everybody lived that, anybody lived that part of their life, right? Where you don't really think about dying. I mean, you're in high school and middle school and at least for me, it was like, where's the next party? Where's the next thing? How can we get in trouble or not get caught? You know, whatever that stuff is, we're trying to figure out to go through not one thought of eternity and not one thought of Jesus. You know, I go get married, you know, I was going to church at the time. I've heard the story before. I was only going to church because I wanted to marry Sherry. Had nothing to do with Jesus. Had nothing to do with the church. I really didn't even like the church that well. It was really boring. But either way, you know, I knew what I needed to do, right? So I just did it, right? Kept living my life for myself. Funny part of the story, though, is, is in all of that, a little bit of a relationship strain with my mom and my dad at the time, um, and partly because of me, because I obviously didn't respect them very much and really didn't care what they thought. The other part of it was, you know, you kind of grow up and you don't need your parents anymore and you kind of like, you know, maybe none of you did this, but like, I don't really care about what you think or where you're at or your advice or any of that stuff. Well, anyway, so mom never really came to the house that much at the time, um, but she shows up one day and um, I walk outside, I'm walking down the sidewalk and she has tears in her eyes. Now, Again, I'm not that insensitive, so I'm like, oh, crap, what happened? What went wrong? You know, who did something? Did something happen to my sister who was having issues at the time? And she looked at me, and kind of a weird thing, and I don't know that it's the right way to evangelize people, but she looked me at the eyes, and she said, this is what I feel like I need to say to you, Dave. You know, if today was your last day, where would you spend eternity? And you know my mom was crying for a reason because she knew the answer. Anybody? Right? You know why she was crying? Because she knew where I was spending eternity. And for the first time in my life, I had this feeling like there could be an end. You know what I mean? Like life could come to an end and there's something after life and I've never really considered it. I haven't considered eternity or I haven't considered that I could actually die up until this point. And for whatever reason that night, you know, I went in and started thinking through all these things. And that was the night that I gave my life to Jesus Christ and just said, you know what? I've never really processed it before. Now I understand all of this. And, and Lord, I want to spend eternity with you, right? And I made a decision for Jesus Christ. And from that time, this is what I want you to hear. From that time till today, you know what God has taught me? Life is short and we're in the end and the days are few. Because, you know, my mom, who did that for me, who came up to me and said, like, listen, I want you to think about where you're spending eternity at age 51, 
driving down the road, gets dizzy, pulls over to the side of the road, dies instantly. 51 years old. And I can just give you this storyline of all of these people in my life that died too soon. Anybody? Right? And in those times, here's something that you realize. The end is near. And it's hard to say that to people until maybe you've experienced that. But when you've experienced that, and this is what God has continued to teach me is, we're in the last days, right? And here's, we need to do something about it from a spiritual perspective. Because here's what I know about people. I know as people, this is what we do. When you think that the end is coming, you usually, or it usually invokes a response with you, right? Like, did anybody hear, it's funny, I thought everybody knew what Y2K was. Anybody, you know, Y2K? Did anybody buy a generator other than me during Y2K? Nobody else? I thought that was the thing. Did I get scammed? Like, I thought the whole thing was you need to have a generator because all electricity is going to go out and everything was going to go to crap. Anyway, right? When people thought that it was coming to an end, people went out, invoked a response, you did something, right? You, you responded in a certain way because you thought the end was coming. Well, the question for us is what response should be invoked when we think the last days are coming and are we living in the last days? Okay, so that's what we're gonna do today. We're gonna look at the last days. Should it invoke a response? And should we look at it in a way to do something about it? Now, you turn to 2 Peter. We're gonna look at 2 Peter 3, one through three. Now, here's what I want you to understand is, is that when we're looking at this idea of the last days, it's written throughout all of scripture. So this isn't just the piece that I picked, you know, to talk about, you know, and it's the only time it's ever talked about on last days. It's talked about multiple different times, Old Testament, New Testament. Jesus talks about it. He talks about these are our last days. These are the things that you're supposed to do in those times. So we're going to go through and we're going to try to figure out what it looks like and should we and how should we respond, you know, with that. So make sure that we understand this. Right, so when we're looking at the last days, I'm gonna give you a picture, and, and hopefully this will make sense throughout all the time that we look at it. So if we, so if we ask this question, you're gonna see it here in just a second. Are we living in the last days? Here's how the last days are defined in scripture. From the time that Jesus was born to the second coming of Jesus Christ, anytime you read inside of scripture and it talks about the last days, it's talking about from the time that Jesus was born so the time that Jesus comes back in his second coming, that is the last days. So you can always answer this question confidently. Are we living in the last days? Yes, right? Now, here's the bigger question, right? Because that's simple. Are we living in the last days? Absolutely. What should you be doing? How should you be prepared? And how should you be responding to those things? So 2 Peter 3, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 3. Here's what it says in verse one. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you, and I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate your what? Thinking, right? Your wholesome thinking. Why would Peter write a letter out of all of the things that he could say to the people, right? Why would he write a letter that would say, you know what, out of all of the things that I wanna do, this is the first thing that I wanna do. I wanna stimulate wholesome thinking, or I wanna change the way that you think, or I want you to think in different ways. You know why that is? Because here's what everybody in this room knows. What you think and how you think dictate the actions of your life, right? What you're thinking about, how you're thinking about it, how you understand it will dictate what you do in life. So here's what Paul knew, which all the writers of scripture did. What you think about and how you think will dictate the actions of your life. So when it comes to this whole idea, what he's getting ready to talk about, the last days, what you understand and how you think about it will change how you respond when you know that you're living in the last days, right? So he goes on and says in that, so this is what he's doing to stimulate thinking, in verse two, he says, I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the commands given by your Lord and Savior through your apostles. Now, he says, I want to stimulate your thinking. What do I want you to be thinking about? 
The prophets and the law, where do we find the prophets and the law? Scripture, right? Like I want you to be thinking about what does the prophets and the law say about the last days and I want you to focus on what Jesus is saying about the last days. Like those are the things that I want you to be able to be able to do. And he says in there, I want you to be able to recall them. Okay, now this is important. So I want you to think about this just for a second. How is it that you can recall things? Because here's what he knows. If you can't recall it, then it also means you've never thought about it. Does that make sense? Like if, you have, if you've thought about something and you've thought about what it says, it's easy to come back and say, well, you know, this is what it says, so this is what I'm gonna do, right? So it talks about this whole idea. So how is a Christian person going to be able to recall things that then is going to change the way that they act and the way that they do their life? So the first thing is you can't recall anything if you haven't ever read it, okay? So he's telling you, if you wanna be somebody that's prepared for the last days, you need to get to the place where you're reading something that then you can recall. Recall Now, people would say, well, the way that you recall things is you just commit them to memory, and if you commit them to memory, then when you commit them to memory and something happens, then you can just bring it up and say, this is what the Bible says. Let me quote 2 Peter 3, 1 through 5, and then they, you know, they just recite it off, and you're sitting back there going, uh, that's never going to happen with me. Anybody ever feel that way? Yeah, I'm, I'm like, I'm never... Me personally, like, they're like, can you quote that scripture from? And I'm like, nope. I can look it up, and I can find it, and I can give you an example of how it goes together, but I don't have everything memorized when it comes to scripture. So when we go to recall it, it starts with, you got to read it. Now here, I'm going to give you another tool. Here's another tool, parents, people. Here's what we need to do is you need to tell the stories about the Bible, and you need to tell the stories about the Bible often, Okay. You need to tell them to your children. You need to tell them to the people around you. You need to talk about, you know, what those stories are. And here's the other thing that you need to do. You need to apply the stories to life application of how it's happening in your life. Does this make sense? So you got to do this. you got to say, hey, let me tell you about the story about David and Goliath. How cool is it? There's this nine-foot Philistine. Nobody wants to go out and fight the, you know, the giant, and all of these people are cowering. David shows up. He's, again, he's not prepared to do all these things. He gets a sling, and he slays the giant, cuts his head off, and comes walking back with it. Cool story, right? And we tell our kids, like, you need to know the story of David and Goliath. You know what you need to tell them? And let me tell you about the giants that I'm facing today in my life and how God is helping me slay the giants in my life. That's how it works. You know how people can recall things? It's because they're gonna be like, oh yeah, you know that one story that God talks about this in scripture and this is how it happened and this is what happened in their life and this is how it all goes together, right? Too many times we're telling people, you just need to know the Bible and you just need to know the stories of the Bible. We don't really care if it's, you know, doing anything in your life, and we don't really care how it affects your life. I'm saying, tell the stories of Scripture and tell you how God has changed your life through those things. Those are the things that you can recall. Amen? Right? Anybody that's been through that, you're going to be able to recall those things. So he tells us, right, I want to change the way that you think. The only way to change the way that you think is read the right stuff. Right, so read scripture. When you read scripture, I want you to be able to recall it. The way you're gonna recall it is you're gonna talk about it often and you're gonna talk about it with other people often and you're gonna put it often and you're gonna put it together in life application stories, right? So he sets this up. If you wanna be prepared for the end, these are the things that you need to do all. But now he gets to this, verse three. Now I think this is absolutely fascinating when he says this. Above all, so above those two things, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own desire. Now, why above all? Now, we just got done saying, I want to change the way that you think, and I think you should read scripture, and I think you should tell stories, and I think you should do all of these things, right? Why above all do you need to focus on the end is near? Why is that important? Well, think about this. Think about it in your own life. Do you work better with a timeline or without a timeline? Okay, well, I'll give you an example. You ever work with a contractor where you just told him, oh, just come over whenever you want. And then he has people on the other end like, get here on this day. Guess where you get put on the list? To the whenever we want section, right? 
People who have a timeline know that they have a timeline, and so that inside of that timeline, they work inside of the timeline, right? They're motivated to do these things because there's an end. I have to have it done by a time. So there's this human nature thing that would say this. As a Christian person, if you never think that the days are coming to an end, you'll never be motivated to get inside of the scripture and read it. You'll never be motivated to put it inside of your life. You'll never be motivated to tell your kids because you know what? You could do it tomorrow. And the next day, and the next day, and the next day. And so there is no motivation. If you believe that the end is near, if you believe that your end is, that, that your life could be over tomorrow, if you believe that there is a deadline, you ever see somebody who's been given their, I have a week to live, I have six weeks to live, I have six months to live. What changes in their life? Focus. Anybody ever seen it? Focus, right? The things that matter most. I'm gonna do the things that matter most because in that amount of time, I know that I have an end. So why does he say Christian people should be focused on above all else that you're living in the last days? Here's why. Because it'll motivate every other action in your life if you believe that you're not guaranteed tomorrow. Anybody? If you're not guaranteed tomorrow, if you, don't, if you don't have a promise of tomorrow, the actions of your life, the way that you live your life are gonna be lived with a sense of urgency. That's what I said. God, you know what God changed for me when I lost all these people at a young age in my life? The sense of urgency. That's what he's changed. I don't like it. I don't like the way it worked. I wish I could change all those things, but at the end of the day, I can't. So you know what I can do? Change the sense of urgency in my life. I don't know that I have tomorrow, so I'm gonna do something about it today, right? And I'm gonna live in that way today, and I'm gonna walk through that today. The other thing is, is that he tells us, if you wanna think about the last days, you need to change the way we think, and you need to anticipate his second coming, right? That's what Peter's telling us. Like, we need to anticipate. We need to want it to come, right? Like, if you're gonna think about the last days and you're gonna change the way that you live and you're gonna change the way that you approach this, you gotta anticipate it and you gotta want it. But here's my fear, right, in the world that we live in today. Not very many people are anticipating or looking forward to the last day of their life. Anybody? Right? Like, you're not like, I can't wait to get out of this place. I can't wait for Jesus to come back. Now, some of you in here who have experienced tragedy are like me and saying, let's go get it over with. You said you made a home, I'm ready to go home. You said you made a place for me, let's get there, right? You said that, you know, this is what heaven looks like, then let's get it over with. Come back, you know, I don't wanna see any more tragedy, I don't wanna see any more people getting stabbed, you know what I mean? This is craziness, get it over with, right? Before it gets any worse. But what he's trying to tell you, before that happens in your life, live with this sense of anticipation like, God, I can't wait to see you someday. Jesus, I can't wait to be in your presence someday. I can't wait to be in your glory someday. So he sets it up with this idea that you need to be thinking about the last days and you need to be processing what that looks like. Now, if you're gonna do it, what do you need to be prepared for? We're gonna look at it in two sections. As a church, so for you guys that are sitting in here today, for you guys that are watching us online, he's addressing you. People that are attending a religious gathering, you would call yourself a believer, you're in the church. He addresses it in a way like, how do you get prepared and what should you be looking out for? You know what he says to each one of you in this room and to you guys that are online? Here's what he says. Be careful of spiritual drift. Here's what we know. Remember when we studied the seven letters to the church right in the beginning? Remember we said that, you know what he said to every one of those churches except for one? This is what I have against you. You know why I had something against you? Because they started here and ended up here. The natural tendency of every single person in this room and all of you guys that are watching online, unless you intentionally do something to change this, you will experience spiritual drift, right? You're going to experience the drift that comes naturally inside of people if you don't do something about it. Does that make sense, right? So we need to be prepared for spiritual drift. And here's what we're gonna look look at. In 2 Timothy 3, so Paul writes with this idea to the church, okay? He writes to the church and he says this. You need to be prepared for spiritual drift and I'm gonna give you a picture of what that looks like. So this is 2 Timothy 3. 
3, verses 1 through 5, and we're going to look at it on what he says. So here's what he says. 2 Timothy 3, starting in verse 1. But mark this, there will be terrible times when? In the last days, so the times that we're living in right now. He says there's going to be terrible times in the last days. Here's what it's going to look like. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, and, verse 5, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. Now, here's the question. How does that ever happen inside of the church? He's talking to church people. You know what he's saying about church people? Let me read it again. They're going to be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous. Does that sound like the church? See, I'm going to tell you something. So I hope I don't mess up your church experience for you. But I'm going to tell you something. If you're in the church long enough, you're going to meet some of those people. You ever met some of those people in church? Some of you are out of church for a while because you met some of those people and you're like, can this really happen inside of the church? Proud, abusive, arrogant. Everybody, anybody ever met that proud person pointing fingers at you? Right? Like that happens inside of the church. The question is, why? How is it that the church or the people of the church could get so far off track that they're going to look at these types of things and they're going to say, you know what, that's okay. It's okay that I'm a lover of money. It's okay that, you know, I'm boastful. It's okay that I'm proud. It's okay, you know. How do we get to that place? You know how we get to there? Because churches and people stop believing the Bible as biblical truth. That's how you get there, right? You stop using the Bible as the standard for biblical truth, and we look at it as a idea manual, a self-help manual, not a, if you're going to be a Christian, okay? If you're gonna be a Christian, here's what you need to realize. If you're going to be a Christian, if you didn't know this, you should never be a lover of self. You know why? Because you know what Jesus says? You should never be thinking about yourself. You know who you should be thinking about? Him and other people. But I want you to think about that this week. Think about your week this week. How many times did you think about yourself and how many times did you think about other people? I know you don't want to shake your head because then you're going to like, people are watching, right? You don't want to see it. But let's just be honest. How much of this week was spent on you? How much of this week was spent on you being better, you getting what you want, you, you know, getting the stuff to the place where you want it to be, right? And you got so busy that you're like, think about other people. I barely thought about my own wife. I barely thought about my own kids because all I was focused on was me. And you want to listen to podcasts and you want to listen to books and you want to do and you, you want all these things. You know why you want them? Because you want to be better than you, Right? And so I'm just challenging you that if you're reading scripture, the only reason that you're listening to the Bible, reading the Bible, listening to podcasts, listening to books, reading books, and all those things that are talking about how to help you become a better person is for one reason and one reason only, to love God and love other people. Not so that you can be proud, right? Because you know how people get proud, the other way that people get proud? And I say this all the time. I say it in marriage counseling. You know how how people end up becoming proud inside of a marriage? You know how a man becomes proud inside of a marriage? You know how a woman becomes proud inside of a marriage? Because you're not reading the Bible. If you read scripture on the mandate, just men, look at me for a second. You know what the mandate is to be a man in this world today based upon scripture? It's a big mandate. You know what God calls you to do inside of this world? You know what he calls you to do inside of your marriage? And you'd be like, well, I'm pretty proud. I'm no, <laughs> you're not. You're not living up to the standards that God calls, including me. We're not living up to the standards. Wives, do you know what it calls you to be to your husband? 
You know what scripture tells you that you need to be to your husband? I know what the world tells you, how it is to be a man, how it is to be a woman, and when the world tells you, you can sit back and be like, I got it, <laughs> I'm good, right? But the idea of reading scripture and believing it's the truth, is you know why we do that, and we're gonna see this here in just a little bit? If you read scripture for what it is and you look at the truth, you know what you realize? You'll never be the man of God that you're called to be without the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of you, period. You see, it gets to the end of this and it says, you know what's gonna happen? People are gonna have a form of godliness. They're gonna come to church without power. You know how you get a form of godliness without power, without using the Holy Spirit in your life? It's because you don't think you need it. You know why you don't think you need it? Because you ain't reading scripture. If you're reading scripture, men, if you're reading scripture, women, you're sitting back there saying, holy crap. You're like me when I read it. Man, I suck, and I need help. And the help that I'm going for is the Holy Spirit that's gonna give me the power to be the husband, the man of God, the friend, all of those things. Give me power to live. That's what scripture's supposed to do. That's where it's supposed to point us. Otherwise, you're gonna go on this drift. You see what I'm saying? You're just gonna keep drifting. You know, it says on there, you know, that we're gonna get into a time during the sin times where you're gonna see these things getting worse and worse and worse, right? So that's the whole idea from the beginning of time to, the, to the when Jesus comes back, things are gonna get worse. Like we're, more people are gonna be lovers of money. More people are gonna, you know, be, you know, proud. More people are gonna be abusive. Like that's just gonna get worse and worse and worse until Jesus comes back. We know that to be true. And I, when I was reading this, it was like, you need to read the whole part that says, children are disobedient to their parents. Did you read that part in there? And I, I was thinking about this. You know, kids 10 years ago, 15 years ago, when you met them, had a way more respect than kids today. And I've always said this. I'm like, you know, I see these kids. You know what my first response is? That kid didn't get his butt whooped enough. <laughs> you know, and people are like, can you say that? <laughs> are you allowed to say that? And I, you know, the funny thing about it is, is that, you know why we're at this place? Because, I mean, th this is one of the things that, that I want us to focus on for just a second. Like, when you see that these kids, you know, are disobedient, right? But the, you know why they're disobedient? Because you let them become disobedient. You know, I said this, and my kids can attest to this. Is like, listen, <laughs> if I come home and you disrespected your mother, I don't care how it makes you feel. You're getting your butt whooped. Nobody likes that one, did you? I'm just telling you, there wasn't any question whether or not you're getting your butt whooped, right? I know, it's not like culturally accepted to whip kids anymore. And I'm like, I don't know, man. I'm gonna go back to spare the rod and spoil the child. I don't know what your stance is on all those things, but I'm just telling you, the reason that we get to these places, if we go back to what scripture says, if your kids are disrespectful, it's a reason. They've either watched you do it. Anybody? They've watched you be disrespectful to other people and they've watched you be disrespectful to, you know, them, you know, and or, yeah, when you go through a person's life or you go through your own life, you've just let it happen. You just let it happen. And you know why you let it happen? Because the most important thing to you isn't to raise your kids up to be godly leaders who will change the world someday. You want to raise them up to be your friend. You know, and we want to make sure, because, man, when you whoop them, they don't like you for at least a day, right? I mean, ain't none of them happy with you when you whoop their butt. You know, ain't any of them happy with you when you're disciplining them. I'm not putting you in a corner where you're getting your butt whooped, Right? Like, that's the way that we were going through all these things. And again, when we look at it, what we have to, to look at is here is who we should be based upon Scripture. And here's what we know. You're never going to get there unless you use the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you don't use the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm just going to give you a guarantee. Here's a guarantee. You are going to drift. It's just going to happen. It's naturally that you're gonna naturally drift away in these last days, right? And you're gonna fall away from the Lord. Now, 
Here's the other part. So that's the church. What should you be aware of or what should you be ready for? You should be prepared for drifting. And how are you going to fix the whole drifting thing? And how are you going to be prepared to do that? Now, how's the world going to respond? Right? So this is how the church is responding to the last days. Here's what we know about the world, right? The world's going to respond in a way, and we're going to go back to 2 Peter. The world's going to respond in a way that they're going to have a bunch of scoffers. They're going to make fun of you. Truth isn't going to matter. So this is 2 Peter 3, and we're going to look verses 3 through 4. Now, I'm going to read from the message, okay? So here's why I'm going to read from the message. It says the same thing, but it incorporates it in a way that I think hits home the point that I'm going to get to. So you can go back to it and you can read it again, but this is the message translation. Starting in verse three, 2 Peter 3, starting in verse three. First off, you need to know what? That we're in the last days. That this is what's gonna happen. Mockers are gonna have their heyday, reducing everything to the level of their petty feelings. They're gonna mock, so this is what they're gonna mock. So what happened to the promise of his coming? Our ancestors are dead and buried and everything is gone on just as it has from the first day of creation. Nothing has changed, right? Nothing has changed. You're gonna have these scoffers. You're gonna have these mockers, these people that are gonna ridicule truth. This is how the world's gonna respond to it, right? The world's gonna look at what you say and their response is always gonna be the same. You're gonna teach truth. They're gonna mock you, make fun of you, pick on you because your truth is going to affect their feelings, Anybody been a part of this ever? Right? Like, your truth, because you're a believer, biblical truth, and you're going to put it out there, and they're going to respond, not based upon whether it's true or not, but based upon the way that it makes them feel. And if it makes them feel bad, guess how they're going to respond to you? Anybody? Ridicule, right? How could you ever say that? How could you ever do that? You're not loving. I thought you were a Christian. Christians are about love. You said this. That can't be about love because you know what it did to me? It made me feel unwanted. It made me feel bad. It made me feel, you know, certain ways. Just so we're on the same page, okay, because I want to make sure that you understand this. Scripture was never made, nor will it ever be made, to make you feel good. In fact, I'm just going to tell you this. It's like you're going to come to church. Don't expect feel good. Because we're going to teach Scripture. And when you read Scripture, and and I say this to you because we've had people that have left Life Church for this reason. You know what? Every time I come here, I walk away and I feel like crap. And you make us feel like crap all the time. I'm like, first of all, I don't make you feel like nothing. Right? That ain't me. Scripture says conviction comes from the Holy Spirit, and the Lord. So now, if you're convicted, don't blame me. If you feel like crap, don't blame me. Maybe you should actually feel like, why do I feel this way, right? Because it's not about our feelings. Scripture's never about our feelings. Scripture's always about what is the truth, but the world's always going to want you to respond based upon the way that they feel. And when you don't make them feel right, or when you press into their feelings and it doesn't match them, they are going to push back. And you know what they're going to say? And I know that they're saying this already, and it's affecting the way that churches are doing church. If you would just address my feelings, I'd come back to church. Do you know what churches are doing? Changing the truth of the gospel to make people feel good so they end up back in church. So you can be sitting in these chairs going to hell just like you were sitting outside of the chairs going to hell. Anybody? Right? Like this is happening in our world today. What's happening in our world today, churches are desperate because I didn't realize this until this last week, but there's a study out that most churches are suffering greatly after COVID on their numbers, like people that are coming back, like greatly. Their budgets, their, you know, attendance, like suffering greatly, like down 50%. I just talked to a church leader who said they're down 50% and still haven't come back. 50%, right, of people, and they're trying to figure out and inside of this, you're, we're going through a generation of people that are churches that are saying, we got to get people back. And you know why they're going to get people back? Make them feel good, I guarantee you. You could fill the pews when you do that. Or fill, I guess they're not pews anymore, are they? You can fill the chairs, right? Like you can fill the chairs. You can bring people in when you make them feel good. Because here's what the world's looking for. And I want you to think about this. The world's looking for pleasure without accountability. 
and they're looking for you to give that to them. Because the world's celebrating pleasure without accountability, right? True? I mean, the world's actually promoting pleasure without accountability. You know why we know that? You know the plan B pill? Right? You know what the plan B pill says? Go out and have sex. Just take the pill in the morning and it won't matter. Nobody? Right? It's just saying, you know what? Have all the pleasure you want. You don't have to have accountability. We're going to take the accountability away from you. You know why we take the accountability away from you? Have unprotected sex with all the people that you want. Even if you make a mistake, we got a pill to fix your problem. There is no accountability. The world is promoting, we got it for you guys. It's all about your happiness, and we're going to make sure that you stay happy, and you really don't have to be accountable to anybody. And if we're going to make it so that you don't have to be accountable to anybody. You know where else you see it? Wealth without work. You see this today, right? Anybody? Right, and, and young people today, young people want what you have and you've worked 30 years for it, right? Like, and they, they're like, why can't I have what you have? I'm like, Judas Priest, do you want to think about this? Like, like, do you know what this looks like? And some kids get it, but some kids don't, right? Some kids don't get, like, it took 30 years, or it took 20 years, or it took 15 years to get there, and they're like, well, I should just be able to have it, right? Work, you know, we want wealth without putting the time in. And you know what? The government's kind of rewarding that, yep. right? You don't have to work. We'll give you all you want. Why? Because it's pleasure without accountability. We want to give you whatever you want. You don't actually have to earn a living. Right? We'll just give you everything that you want. And if your standard of living isn't high enough because you're not working enough, we're just going to take care of it for you. Right? That whole idea of setting up a culture that would say, here's what you need to know is when we're looking at the end times, when we, when we look about the truth and we look about the way the world's going to respond, the world's going to respond to you by making fun of you when you believe you have to work for something to actually earn something. Right? You know where else you're seeing it? You're seeing it inside of the church or you're seeing it inside of the people that would claim to be a part of a church. Religion without sacrifice. You see where that works? Like pleasure without accountability. You want the pleasure of coming here, checking it off of the box and saying, guess what I did today? I went to church. But nowhere in your life is there ever a model or ever an indication or ever anything of you being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Because disciples of Jesus Christ put their hands to the plow and never look back. If your hands aren't on the plow, you hear me? Maybe it's only religion for you today. Maybe you've bought into the world's view. Maybe that's where you are today is, I love the religion because it makes me feel good, at least on Sunday. But you've not put your hand to the plow and you've not sacrificed anything for the one who said to you, pick up your cross daily and follow me. Put your hands to the plow and never look back. You know, there's scripture after scripture after scripture that would tell us that when we go through this and when we look through this, that we need to understand this is what you need to be prepared for. So if you're a Christian person, you need to be prepared for the world's response. The world's response is when you start preaching truth, you're gonna get made fun of. When you start using scripture, they're gonna start taking that scripture and trying to twist it because you know what they're looking for? They're looking for something that makes them feel good, not something that changes their life. We're gonna give you stuff that changes your life we're gonna give you stuff that's true and right because we want you to have the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't want you to live a powerless life. Now, knowing those two things, we're in the last days, here's the church's response, here's the world's response, what should we do? As a Christian, because this was the church that's messed up and the world's that's messed up, but what about you who's not messed up? What should your response be knowing that we are in the last days, right? Now that we're in the last days, what should our response be? This comes from 2 Peter, now it's back to NIV version. 2 Peter 3, and it's gonna be 10 through 13, right? This should be our response. Starting in verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, 
The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought we be? Do you see what he's saying? So in the last days, knowing what's going to happen at the end, he's asking you a question. How should you respond? What kind of a person should you be? Here's what he says. You ought to live holy and godly lives. As you look forward to the day of God and, and speed it's coming up, that day will bring about destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in the keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells, right? So what should our response be, right? As a Christian person, this is what we're saying about, you know that we're in the last days, we've been studying revelations, what response should be invoked by every Christian per person in this room? Here's what he says, right? The first thing should be this. This is the, the response that it should invoke. You better not be materialistic because guess what? It's all burning up in the end. Do you see that? Do you see how he says, you know, there's a fire coming and you might've been proud of your barn, but it's all gonna burn up. You might have been proud of your business, but it's all going to burn up. You might have been proud of your savings account, but it's all going to be gone. You might have been proud of the business things that you've done, but it's all going to be gone someday, right? So he's just saying, listen, it's all going to burn up because he knows the tendency of everybody in this room is to be like, don't take it. It's going to be hard for you to live in this world like this. Doesn't matter. Take it, leave it, whatever. So he says, don't be materialistic. If you want to live like it is the last days, you can't do it being materialistic. You can't do it with closed hands. Then he says, the other thing that you need to do is live with anticipation, okay? That's what you need to do. If we're going to give hope, you need to live with anticipation. Anticipation towards what? Heaven, eternity, right? You need to live with anticipation like I created you a home in glory ready for you to be in and you're sitting there like, wow, I'm ready to go with the anticipation to be there someday. Now, how can you anticipate something that you know nothing about? I'll say from the beginning when I first became a Christian, you know, the idea is I became a Christian and I got inside of the church and then they talked about the difference of heaven and hell and eternity. Right, and so here's the picture of heaven and here's the picture of hell. I'm like, in a public place, I'd be like, oh yeah, I'm ready to go to heaven, eternity, you know, and part of the reason was because they painted a picture of hell and I'm like, well, that would really suck. But I also looked at heaven and I'm like, I don't know that that's much better. And I'm gonna give you why, right? Because I'm a, like a busybody person and I like to be busy all the time. And you know what the picture of heaven that was pictured, that people gave me? You sit on a cloud and you play an instrument, and you sing all day. <laughs> Sitting around, I hate singing, and I really don't like music. <laughs> but I love heaven, right? Now, I'm just being honest with you. Like, if you don't know what heaven's really like, and you're sitting there, like, you want to have an anticipation. But for me, personally, it was like, I don't, I'm not really looking forward to that, right? I'm not really, like, excited about that. And then I learned about what heaven was really going to be. And I'm like, I can't wait to get there. Like now that I know what heaven's going to be and at the end of Revelations, we're gonna study this, like you're gonna know what it's gonna be like and you're gonna know how your experience is gonna be. And when you know that, and I'll just tell you a little upfront, it's way more than sitting on a cloud, right? It's way more than just playing music. Like being in heaven is awesome. The place is prepared for you. So you can anticipate it because you think on it and then you need to learn about it. The other thing is, is you'll anticipate heaven in this way. Not only for the house that's created for you, but what about the people around you? You see, what will motivate you to live in the last days is to look around. Every empty seat in this room today represents a soul of somebody in this community that if they die today is going to hell. And the question is, what are you doing about it? How much of your week your thought, your prayer life, your actions of your life did anything to think about that person. You know who that person is? Put them in your mind because you know that person. That if the last day happened to them today, they're gonna spend a Christless eternity. And the question is, as somebody who knows about the last days, is the response, the invocation of the response or the thing that we're doing is like all these things for ourselves, but what about that person? What'd you do for them this week?
Did you pray for him by name? Did you invite him to church? Did you take him out to lunch? Did you build a relationship? You know what I mean. Like, what did you do to think about that? Because that's what he tells us we need to live with anticipation. Here's the next thing. The worship team's gonna come back up and we're gonna end with this. Not only anticipation, you have to live with motivation, right? So you gotta anticipate the your end, right? Anticipate Jesus coming back. Look forward to heaven. But what's your motivation? Like, how are you going to live life? And what should be the things that you're going to do? So here's the first thing that I want you to think about. The first thing is to be careful of spiritual drift, okay? How do you become careful or how do you make sure that you don't drift? Here's how. Listen to me. So if the rest of the message didn't make any sense to you and you didn't care, I want you to hear this. If you live in isolation... You will drift. You will. Now, let me tell you what isolation is. Isolation isn't being alone. Isolation is living without accountability. That's isolation. Isolation is living without somebody in your life that could look at you and say, you know what? You're off track. You're believing the wrong thing. You're not going down the right road. What Satan wants most for you is to live in isolation. And he loves when you are around people, but still isolated. You're living that secret life. Nobody really knows you. Anybody relate with this? You're living that secret life. Nobody really knows you. Nobody knows what's going on. Nobody knows the way you think. Nobody knows the way that you feel. You're living amongst people, but you're completely isolated. And Satan's like, I got you. I got you because you ain't got anybody, right? And so we always encourage people like, you need to be in community. I don't care what that community looks like, but community is for a reason. Community is for accountability. Community is so that you can sit in accountability and so that you can go down the wrong way. If you don't want to drift, don't be isolated, right? Here's the other way. You need to believe and be confident in spiritual truth. How are you confident in spiritual truth? Read it. Study it. Ask God. Trust in his promises. You know how the, the best way to believe in spiritual truth is trust his promises, because then you know it's true. If you never trust the promises of God, how do you know that it's really true? If you never get to those places where he's like, trust me, trust me, do you really know that he's good? Right? Do you really know that you could be confident in those things? James always talks about, here's a test. You know what the test is? I'm gonna see where you stand. The only way to know where you stand is to be able to test your faith, right? That's what he tells each one. Be confident in that. The other one, and we'll end with this, be consistent in your spiritual activity, right? Now, what should your spiritual activity look like? Very simple. We've said it a hundred times. I'm gonna say it again. You are left on this earth for one reason and one reason only. In these last days, Your assignment is to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. If you want to do something, do that. And the question always is for each one of us in this room, if the last days are coming, how many people are you discipling? How many disciples are you making? Time is short. Time is urgent. You don't know that you get a second chance. Don't waste your time. Don't waste your time. Make disciples of all nations. I don't know what your spiritual activity is going to look like because everybody in this room is going to do something different. But the result's always going to be the same. Disciples of Jesus Christ going out and making more disciples of Jesus Christ. We stand so I can pray for you. Heavenly Father, when we come to you today, I love that we can get together and we can focus on this whole idea. Like, these are our last days. We are living in the end times. Lord, I pray for everybody in this room that's found themselves in spiritual drift. Lord, may they, may they understand that we need to get back to what's true. We need to get back to the word of God. We need to, to understand the things that he has, that you have for each one of us. Lord, I pray that we can withstand the mockers and the scoffers of the world today because we're not gonna change. We know that it was never about feelings. We know that it was never about feeling good. We're gonna keep speaking truth. We're gonna keep having accountability. And Lord, we're gonna seek you above everything else. 
But Lord, most of all, we're gonna face this end with hope. Anticipation for what is to come. The end of my life or you coming back, I'm anticipating those things. Lord, I'm motivated to have spiritual activity, Lord, in a way that I can make disciples with the time that I have left. Lord, give me every chance possible to reach more people for you. May that be us as a church. May we never forget the call on our lives. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray, amen. So I hope for us as a church, knowing that we're in our last days, right? This is it. 
waiting for the second coming of Christ. We are waiting for him to come back. But in the meantime, while we wait, we're gonna worship. We're gonna get busy making disciples. We're gonna see the power of God. We're asking for the power of God to invade not only this church, but the people of this church, giving us the power to bring revival to a world that needs hope, right? That's what we're praying for. That's what we wanna be a part of. In these last days, may we as a church and may we as people make a difference that changes eternity. So thanks everybody for being here at our main campus. Thanks for joining us online. We'll see you guys next week.